as easy as I drive around the streets of Wilmington and wherever else I might be, accidents happen. And so far, Lord, you have blessed me so that I haven't been in an accident. Not just me, but also the people I love. People have been in the hospital, and God, because of who you are, I revere, I have a fear, of awesome fear of who you are, because though my member, family members may have been in a hospital, Lord, I know that they came out of it because of who you are. Amen? And because of that, Lord, yes, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to forfeit your goodness because I want to do my thing. I, I want to be able to say, Lord, you know what, because of who you are. I respect, well, number one, your God. Not only the fear, not only the reverence of God and the fear of God and the fact that we don't forfeit his goodness, but also we ought to have a sense of awe and majesty of who God is. We ought not to walk, we ought not walk into the church if it's just if it's just another thing to do. We ought to realize that we have the awesome res- responsibility and we also have the op- awesome opportunity to reverence, to serve. To worship God. That's why it's so important that when we come, we raise our hands. We join into the songs. We, we sing and participate because we realize who we are. If you watch the, the, the press conferences of the president, or any time the president of the United States come in, like when he gets ready to give his uh, uh, State of the Union address, everybody is seated in the Congress or Senate, wherever the House of Representatives, and the moment he gets ready to walk through the doors, Somebody, the guard, the, the, the doorsman person there says, oh, you know, everybody stands. The president of the United States. As soon as he says that, everybody stands and he comes in. When you walk into a courtroom, you just don't sit there as if it's just another day. No. Typically, they may not do that. It's been a long time since I've been in a courtroom, but the times I have been, they walk when the judge gets ready to walk in, the bailiff, whoever's there, say, all rise. What happens? Everybody stands up. But we serve somebody that's greater than the president. We serve somebody who's greater than the judge that's in the courthouse. We have the opportunity to serve an awesome God. And because of that, we ought to be able to lift our hearts, lift our voices in attitude to God and say, you know what, God? Because of who you are, you're an awesome God. God's just not good. God is, is, is great, but God is also awesome. And that's what he says here in Joshua 24. Fear God. Amen? He talks about part of that fear also deals with his authority. His authority is he spoke, and what happened? Things came into existence. By his word, he spoke, and it happened. Let there be, and guess what? There was. Amen? So because of that, we ought to have a reverential fear of God. But not only just in those things, we also need to have a, a dread of his displeasure. We ought not want to displease who God is. When you were growing up, you wanted to please your mother and father. Right? You didn't want to disappoint them. You try to Obey and follow the rules, although sometimes you didn't want to. But you said, you know what, that's my dad, that's my mom. Out of my respect, even to an extent, my fear of who they are, I want to do the things that's going to make them proud of, happy with me. Same thing is true of God. 
We ought not want to displease who God is. So that fear of God takes into consideration all that Joshua is talking about. He says, therefore, fear the Lord, and not only that, he says, worship him. How? In sincerity and in truth. Worship him. How do I worship God? I worship him by every day giving thanks to who he is. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? Hopefully you say, thank you, Lord, for waking me up another day. Hopefully the first thing is is that you turn on the TV and and you go make your coffee, and then as time and life goes by, you forget all about God, and then, oh, wait a minute, Lord, thank you. The first thing we ought to do is say, Lord, you know what? Thank you for waking me up this morning. It's not that those other things aren't important, but hey, Lord, you woke me up. Somewhere somebody didn't get up, but thank you in spite of all that's going on in our life. And we have a lot of things in our life that's going on, but the main thing is God's been good to us. Amen? I don't care how bad you think it is, God has blessed you. We may not think about it, we may not believe it, but because of what he did, because of what he has done, we ought to be able to say, Lord, in our sincerity and in truth, I want to thank you. I want to worship you. I want you to know that I love you and I adore you. And I want to be able to say, thank you, Lord. Because I understand you didn't have to, but you did. And if you look at your life, however old you might be today, from when you were born to where you and I are now, can you not say along with me that despite all the battles and all the scars and all this stuff that may have gone on, yet if you look over the totality of where you are today, has not God been good? Oh, I know there's some heartaches. I know there's some pain, but guess what? God's been good. Nobody wants pain, but if I understand it right, sometimes pain is a necessity. Now, you don't want to you don't be one of these people that feels no pain at all because you could have yourself on fire. You could have your hand on some fire or something hot. And if you feel no pain, you just leave it right there. The idea of pain is if you put something, if you put your hand or whatever on something that's hot long enough, it's going to burn. And the typical response is, yo! Amen? That's a good thing. And in life, sometimes the pain helps us to go, yo, that I need God. I need more of you, God. Because I, I got to the point where I lived my life and I, and I, I kind of sort of got caught up in what I was doing and what I wanted to do and my thing and not your thing. And I really have forgotten that the number one thing in life is you. It's not me. It is you. I move, I live, and I have my being because of you. Amen? No matter what success or failures you have in life, you can rise to the highest heights, and yet and still you need to realize you didn't get there by yourself. God blessed you. Sometimes people think, well, you know, I got my promotions, I got my job, I did this, I did that. But who woke you up so you could go to that job? Who kept you healthy enough that you could work for 30 or 40 years at the same place? Because a lot of people start out because of illness and disease, they can't finish the race. But if God has blessed you, with 
as we like to say sometimes, a reasonable portion of health and strength. Oh, could you be better? Yeah. Oh, I, I hear Brother Art on Wednesday nights. I hear others on Wednesday nights when they talk about what they're going through physically. But guess what? God's still good. Amen? And as long as God's still good, we have the responsibility to reverence and to serve him. We ought to serve him with our outward acts, in our sense of religious worship, and we also ought to serve him as well with our whole life in terms of our lifestyle. Who are you? I was telling somebody today, I'm going to work on this. I got two messages I'm going to work on. One is the one I preached years ago, Bloom Where You're Planted. And then I got another one that is on my mind, the, the pretenders and the attenders and the defenders. Pretenders and attenders are probably tied together. But there are those who pretend, those who attend, and then those are, there are those who defend. I need another word in there. I'm working on trying to get that other word. I might need, to, need your help on that. Amen? But serve him outwardly with who we are and with our lifestyle. People ought to know that, hey, not a perfect man, but he's a child of the king. By how he lives and by the words that come out of his mouth, I know he's a saved person. I know he believes in Jesus. And then what Joshua tells these people is what I think sometimes we need to do. He says, therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. And then he says this, get rid of the gods of your fathers. The nation of Israel brought along with them, and where they finally eventually landed, they assumed and assimilated into the culture where they were at, and they began to serve and, and, and do things from the false gods that surrounded them. And I think we as Christians sometimes are doing the very same thing. Although we serve God, though we live for God, we slowly but surely have allowed the false gods, the false idols to come into our life. And that's what he tells us. Because they did the same thing back then. They were in the land of Canaan. They were in the land, and when they, when they got delivered out of that, because of tradition, because of some of the old things they were taught, because of some of the old ways they brought with them, they kept hold of those things, and they were not willing to drop it to serve the God that delivered them. And Joshua says, you know what? Some of you are holding on to bad things. Some of you are holding on to the false ways that we, that we are surrounded by. Some of you have picked up some of these false gods. No, he tells them, what you need to do is get rid of it. My question to myself, my question to us here today is, what false god, what idols do we have that you and I are holding on today that is hindering God from blessing us above and beyond what we could ever imagine or think? So he talks about the worship. He talks about how they ought to approach Worship in sincerity and truth. And then last but not least, he talks about they need to get rid of those false gods, those false idols. They were privately keeping things from their past life. And Joshua's advice was to 
destroy it. My advice to you and I today is, whatever it is that you and I are holding on to privately in our life, you and I need to destroy it. Because if we don't, the erosion, the setbacks will always be a part of who we are. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. And that's what he wants to do. In the Gospels, Jesus brings out a couple passages of Scripture. I want to share that with you. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. Ties into this idols and false worship and trying to, Jesus puts it really simply like this. He says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve two idols. You can't serve two gods. You can only serve one. And what we need to do, like Joshua told the nation of Israel, you got to make a choice. You got to choose, choose you this day. Who, who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve yourself? And Jesus picks it up. He says, wait a minute. You can't do two masters because you will hate one and love the other. And you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Luke, yes, Luke 14 Verse 26, Jesus even made it even more intensified. And many people have misinterpreted this, but if they really understood it, he's not talking about that you will hate, literally, not your father and mother. But in Luke 14, 26, here's what Jesus says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And he's not talking about you hate your father, mother, brothers, and sisters, and children. What he's saying is your allegiance, your love for one, just like he said in, in Matthew, you will either love one greater than the other. Love your father, love your mother, but when it comes to the things of God, they cannot take first place. God wants what? First place. He wants the preeminence. It's God first, then everything else falls into places, falls into place. He said this, seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God. Put God, uno numero, number one. Put God, number one. Seek the kingdom first. And then he says, if you do that, if I do that, all the other things. Our problem is the other things have now taken over where God should be. Put God in place where the other things are. And you'll receive the blessing that you want in your life. Amen? But if we don't put God first, then we're always going to be frustrated by not putting him first and allowing all these, quote, other things. And sometimes the other things might be good in and of themselves, but that does not mean that they ought to take the place of God. And that's what he wants. He wants our devotion. He wants our commitment. He wants us to put him first. What I do know is that when I look at my own life, when I look at what God has done, how could I not serve him? How could I not love 
him. How can I not say to God, God, you know what? Yes, forgive me. I have not always done what I'm supposed to do. I've not always put you first. Oh, I've allowed other things to come in place of you. But God, when I look at my life, I don't know about you, I guess the question would be, how could I not put God first? Because when I look at myself, he's been too good. I've told you the story many times, and I, I, I'll tell it again. Back when we were running up and down the highway to what was in the Eastern Union Missionary Baptist Association, part of the association we were in when I was at the Second Baptist in BNBC, there was an old deacon. One time we were having, they were having the association meeting, and the preacher was preaching, and at the end he just had to shout out, who would not serve? Who wouldn't serve a God like this? And that's the question we need to ask ourselves. How can I not serve a God like this who has blessed me beyond anything I deserve? Do I deserve to be here today? No, sir. No, ma'am. Do I deserve, deserve the family I have? No. Do I deserve the house I have? No. The car I drive? No. There's nothing that I have that I really deserve. What I deserve from God, ultimately, because I was in sin, wrapped in sin, and shaped iniquity, I deserve God's wrath and, and punishment. But because of his grace and his mercy, and in fact, he loved me enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. And one day I said yes to him. I said, Lord, you know what? Can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't just live my life for myself and disregard who you are. Find myself walking down the aisle and say, yes, I give my Lord, I give my life to you. And because of that, he's been good. Oh, I don't tell you, I haven't had moments of doubt and fear and, and all those other things. I haven't, you know, my, my family's been through some stuff and I've been through some stuff. I ain't going to tell you it's been a bed of roses. Well, even a bed of roses are some what? Thorns. But, oh, but in spite of it all, and I look back, God's been good. I, haven't, I cannot help but believe in him. In a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And what that is all about is simply that, Lord, he said, listen, let me tell you something. I'm going to leave on record for you an ordinance. We don't do this. Because it's the first Sunday of every month. We can eliminate that. I mean, that's an easy thing to do. I mean, I'm, I'm not tied to this, but it has to be the first Sunday of every month. That's not why we do it. We don't just do, we could do it once a year. We could do it once every 10 years as far as that's concerned. But he says, I leave this on record so that you will remember what I do. I don't, there's nothing mystical, magical, spiritual, about the elements themselves. It's just un, it's unleavened bread and grape juice. I went to the store the other day and bought some grape juice. So we would have grape juice. That's all it is. But the significance of it is not the elements. The significance of it is what it's supposed to mean to me as a believer. That this represents Christ's body and his shed blood. And he did it for moi. That's why I do it. Amen? Because, man, 
His sacrifice for me. He died. He died. He died for me. That just, I don't know about you, that just blows me away that as bad as I am, as, as messed up as I am, he saw me when I was and is at my worst. And yet and still, he went to the cross, suffered, bled, and died. Not just for me, but for everybody that's in here. So no, I don't come because it's the first Sunday and dress in my suit and do my thing and say, got it. No, I do because I realize that, number one, in obedience, we say it, in obedience to God's commands, we do this because he left that on record. And I also do because, Lord, every time I take it, my mind goes back to what you did for me. You did it for me. I make it personal. Amen. And I hope that's what you do, is that you make it personal in your life. But if you just came because it's the first Sunday and you want the elements, hey, I'll give you some grape juice and I'll give you some un- un- unleavened bread. You can do that wherever. You don't have to do that here. But if you're here today because you want to say, you know what? Man, God's been good to me. Man, I, I appreciate he died for me. And he told me, I, 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 as a believer in Christ, ought to be here because we do it as a church family. We've gotten away from families eating dinner together. Everybody's got their own schedule. Everybody eats at their different times. There was a time in the day that everybody came at a certain time in the evening to eat as a family. This ordinance is set aside for those of us who are a part of the family of God and those of us who are part of the membership of Cornerstone Baptist Church. That's why we come. Amen? We just can't absent ourselves because of that. 